Well, we're back again tonight after a long holiday break. And uh, before we did break for the holidays, we were busy with a study in 1 John. And uh, going to resume that study here tonight, uh, just to remind you that it's a wonderful book of encouragement and uh, soul searching, of course. And there is the purpose of the book is just to give confidence that you may know that you are a believer. And, and so again tonight, we're going to continue that study. We're going to pick it up in chapter 2 and verse 28 and uh, consider some of those verses following into chapter 3. But won't you join with me as we just pray together and commit this time to the Lord. Dear Father, once again, thanking you for just the ability, the opportunity, and even the freedom that we have to join together, that we're able to study the Word, and Lord, the provision of technology, the ability to access uh, groups in homes, and perhaps even individuals that would watch on their own. Lord, we do pray that there would be some benefit, just as we seek to understand the Scriptures before us tonight. We do know as we come, your Holy Spirit uh, will be at work, that He ultimately is our teacher, and our guide, our comforter, our strengthener, and Lord, even in the matter before us in terms of assurance, we do pray that just looking at the word, there would be that real sense of uh, belonging to you for those who are really believers. And, and Lord, where there is uncertainty, where there perhaps is unbelief, that you would lead individuals, such a person, uh, to that place of being born again, of knowing you, as the Lord, as their Savior and King. And so bless our time together, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible with you, please do turn to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. And I'm going to read the passage. I think it's worthwhile just picking up some of the context again and follow with me then. And John writes, he says, And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, now this is important, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident 
who are the children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is there one who does not love his brother. So just so far tonight, uh, this uh, passage before us, and uh, I do want to begin uh, just by picking up on the theme and, and even the heading of this particular study, and I've called it Confident and Unashamed. And this did prompt uh, a story and an, an event that happened to me some years ago. And I thought to just introduce uh, the topic and also to give us some sense of feeling as to uh, being confident and unashamed and, and how important that is uh, in the context of us coming uh, before God. Well, some years ago, if you remember correctly, the stretch of road uh, from uh, Buta Avenue through to the N1 had a speed limit of 100 uh, kilometers an hour. Well, I happened to be along that way, and not too many days thereafter, I fetched my mail only to discover that I had received a traffic fine. I'd been caught traveling along that road, uh, just exceeding the speed limit, uh, passing beyond the 100-kilometer limit, and... Uh, I had to pay a fine. I decided to plead my cause and I visited the public prosecutor at the Centurion Traffic Department. I waited, eventually got to see the gentleman. I went in, cap in hand, confessed my mistake. I didn't try and get out of the fine on the basis of not being guilty. I said to him that I was guilty. I acknowledged my guilt and I said, look, I'm just coming, I'm asking, the fine is heavy. Is there any possible way that he could reduce uh, my fine? Well, he was very merciful on that particular day. He was kind to me and he reduced my fine by half. Well, the day continued and later on in the day, I happened to pop in at home. Uh, Carol then told me that she had had a strange morning. She said that she had gone to lay on the bed that she had fallen asleep and that she had a dream. She told me how in her dream she saw me asking to see the public prosecutor. She repeated word for word, I could not believe it, word for word, how I confessed my law-breaking, how I was uh, before him cap in hand, how I pleaded for mercy, and even the response of the public prosecutor in cutting my fine in half. Well, you can imagine, I got goose flesh. Carol knew exactly the entire conversation, the exact detail of the morning of what happened at the public prosecutor in Centurion. And so I started beginning to feel a little bit nervous about my wife. It was a little bit uh, mysterious, to say the least. My wife, able to relay the events of my day word for word in detail, I felt so exposed, suddenly even wondering, what else does she know? I was probably, at that time then, as white as a sheet, and she started laughing. She told me how her cell phone had rang, rang early that morning and overheard my conversation with the public prosecutor. She had not had a dream. It was a pocket call that she had listened into. I had unknowingly activated my cell phone and so enabling her to hear the events 
of the morning. Now I share that perhaps silly illustration now, but it nevertheless makes the point, it stirs the feeling of being exposed, being uh, unable to hide uh, from others uh, things that we would prefer to keep secret. Which does prompt the question that we need to ask in the context of our study tonight. How would you feel? How would you feel if your motives, more than your motives, also your thoughts and actions, that which you did this past day, this past week, perhaps even over the course of your life, if all of that was exposed, not only to your spouse or perhaps if you're single, your parent, but what about to God? How would you feel? How would that make you feel? The fact of the matter is, the truth that God does know everything. God knows you and me completely and thoroughly. Not because of the accidental activation of a cell phone, but because of who he is, because of his nature. God is all-knowing. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can hide from God. Just one verse, the well-known verse in Psalm 139, uh, verses 1 to 4 where the psalmist writes, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Then he gets into some detail in the revelation of his understanding and knowledge of God. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God doesn't only see what we do, he actually perceives our thoughts. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. We are exposed completely before God. Jesus warned the Pharisees about this uh, dilemma. It is a dilemma. And he said to them in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Again, just conveying to us the truth that we may be able to hide information, action, motives, thoughts, any kind of thing from other people, but there is nothing that we can hide from God. What we think matters, what we say matters, what we do matters. And there are eternal consequences. Again, Jesus speaking to this, uh, he says, I tell you the truth, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. After that, they can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Uh, You know it completely, O Lord. So you get the point and and, and you you understand why in the study I am referring and and, and going back to the heading. uh, There is a need to be able to stand before God and not be ashamed. There is a need to be able to stand before God and not hang your head in shame. And so therefore the gospel message and what we will even again see here tonight. There is the possibility, there is the benefit, there is the blessing of being able to stand before God and be amongst those that John describes who are confident and unashamed, irrespective of what they've done, irrespective of what they've thought or even uh, the motives that they've had. You see, 
we ought to be ashamed. And yet, reading in this passage in verse 28, uh, John is urging these Christians, these believers, he says, their children continue in him, and we'll come back to that continue in him just now. So that, there's a, there's a purpose clause there, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Question we must ask and explore in the study tonight, and perhaps even in the discussions that you have, why is there no need for the believer not to be scared, not to be ashamed in the presence of God? And to apply that in a personal sense, can you be, and I ask myself, can I be confident in the presence of God? Will we be able to be unashamed in his presence? Well, John very definitely challenges readers to continue in him. And I'm going to explore that, but before we get, get to that and uh, uh, asking, well, continuing in him, is that going to solve our dilemma? Is that going to solve our problem of uh, being able to be confident and, and being able to be unashamed? Well, we continue in this passage and, and, and see that humanity is divided, can be divided into two different families. This will lead us to see uh, the answer to our question about confidence and being unashamed. So my first point then is really to explore these two different families. And again, we need to think of our, our human context, uh, people, families, our own situations, uh, children looking like uh, their parents, a son looking like uh, a father and acting like a father, a daughter looking like a mother, acting and behaving like a mother. I know that my own family have, have teased me on occasion. Uh, the older I get, they say the more I behave like my dad. One of the silly things my dad did, uh, embarrassingly to, to, uh, for all of us, is in public. He would loosen his belt and tuck in his shirt. And, 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 and I started doing that. And, and, and my family say, I'm just like Opa. And, and so family resemblance is, is, is so true. And, and we see this again and again. It's the way of families. Children certainly grow to be like uh, their parents. And, and as we look at this passage, we'll see that the two families on this earth resemble the ways of their particular father. And so let's consider the first family. And we're going to see this one identified, this family identified in verse 29. These are, or let's say they are the children of God. Let me read verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, that is God, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See, there's the family resemblance. The child exhibits the parent's character. Because he shares or she shares the parent's nature. At conception, there is a passing on of uh, DNA, I understand, uh, to the next generation. And so therefore we understand that the information passed from one generation to another is contained in the seed. Again, if we turn to our passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Now notice this, because God's seed remains in him, 
He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. And if you remember back uh, to last year when we started studying this book, uh, one of the tests that we identified from John uh, to see whether we are in fact true believers or not is the moral test. And so again, we're finding this moral test uh, being raised to the fore, raised before us as readers, that a person's righteousness is evidence of the new birth. Righteousness in your life verifies that you've been born from above. You see, holy living proves the identity of your father. There must be in some measure resemblance to your father God. Children of God should in some way resemble the way of their holy father. The mention here of being born of him is a catalyst to John and, and I hope a catalyst to you as well at a wonder and an amazement at the love of God. Why is it? Um, how is it that, that God would consider individual sinful men and women and include them in his family, bringing about this wonderful gift of salvation? And so what he does is, is, is he, he, he goes off in, in, in a, uh, uh, an attitude of, of worship. Uh, God has done something so extraordinary. When we get to chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, How great! This, this thing of being born again, this thing of being included in God's family. Literally, uh, the words over there would be, behold of what country? In today's language, we would say something differently. We would, in amazement, say, where does this come from? It, it, it's unexpected. It, it's unusual. It's, it's undeserved. And so, literally uh, implying great astonishment. As if the love of God has no equal, it does not have equal in human experience. So much so that John cannot even tell from which country it comes from. It is beyond explanation. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. We were from another family. And that family we'll see just now is not really a family in good standing or even desiring to be pleasing this particular father. And then he says there that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. But there is a second family also identified by the nature of their father. As we turn to this passage and, and I've called them in the second place, they are, they are the children of of the devil. That sounds so harsh, doesn't it? But but it's what the scripture tells us again in verse 8, chapter 3. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So the nature of this father and his family is that of proud rebellion against God. This family demonstrates, exhibits lifestyles of law-breaking and unrighteousness. The two families, John tells us, are clearly recognizable. And so by examining our lives, you examining your life, me examining my life, we can determine which family we belong to. So verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Or chapter 3 verse 10, 
This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. So there's a clear distinction. One can use a, a, a discriminating uh, criteria. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This does take us back to the challenge that John placed earlier on in the book at the feet of the believers that those who claim to be children of God continue in him. Remember at the beginning of the passage, continuing in him. And I want to move therefore to my second main point, that God does call us, God calls his children to holy living. As a child of God, you are to continue in him. There is this moral test of faith that needs to be considered. You must continue throughout the course of your life growing to purify yourself just as he is pure. Now we can use the terms uh, sanctification or being sanctified. We're not speaking. Remember, we've already seen in, in this letter that John is not advocating sinless perfection on this earth. Uh, tells us not to sin at the beginning of chapter 2, but if we do sin, we have one who represents us uh, to the Father. So not sinless perfection, but growth in sanctification. Uh, change taking place in the course of our Christian lives. And then he goes on, and we can pick out from this particular passage some incentives. Why be motivated? Why, why be moved to take serious this call to holy living? Why must you pursue holy living. And it has to do, in this passage, we are given, uh, in the first instance, the purpose of his first coming. Let's think about what the Bible tells us, what John tells us in this passage, as to why Jesus came at the uh, first coming, the advent that we've just celebrated over Christmas, the birth of Jesus, uh, born in a stable at Bethlehem, and the purpose of that particular coming. And what we will see is that holiness is very closely linked to the first appearing of Jesus. The indispensable necessity of holy living is tied to the, to, to the purpose of the first coming of Jesus. Now let's have a look at this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. But you know that He appeared, right? His first coming. He appeared so that he may take away our sins. And in him is no sin. We see John the Baptist declaring the same truth about Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 29. Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes, his first appearing is to deal with the issue of sin. To, to, to eradicate the reality of the consequences of sin amongst sinful people. How did he do that? Well, we're told by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, taking the sin upon himself, bearing them in his own body. John, uh, at least Peter writes, he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So the first coming of Jesus comes to address sin in such a way that the work of Jesus on the cross not only secures salvation 
it actually impacts us as those who are born again to pursue a life of righteousness. There's another reason that uh, John highlights in this passage as a motive uh, for us to pursue holiness in the first appearing as a result of the first appearing of Jesus. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared, there it is again, the Son of God appeared first appearing, was to destroy the devil's work. The works of the devil are evil. His works include all those things which have defiled and spoiled and corrupted the perfect creation of God. So morally, we can see that it is the devil's work to entice men and women to sin. We see something that intellectually it can be and is the um, seduction into error, uh, denying the truth that has been revealed. Christ came to destroy the work of the devil. And yes, the devil is still busy doing this wicked work, but he has been defeated. And in Christ, we can escape the ravages of his claws. So that's the first coming. Dealing with sin and destroying the works of the devil. But then we're also given as a motive for pursuing holiness a consideration of the purpose of his second coming. Now let me just uh, perhaps uh, illustrate with uh, uh, an event that happened to me some years ago. A couple of years ago I was involved in a funeral. Uh, One of our members in the church uh, asked if I would conduct uh, a service for a baby that died. Uh, the baby did not survive uh, six months. It was a very sad and tragic situation. What had happened at birth, this helpless infant, this helpless baby was abandoned. And if I have my memory, if my memory serves me correctly, it was just thrown away in a dirt box. Sadly, it's not an isolated case. In our Baptist context, some years ago, one of our uh, Baptist uh, folk uh, opened up what was called a hole in the wall ministry in Hilbra, and it was simply a drawer in a wall where if anybody wanted to discard a baby they could do so and many did so discarding infants uh, into this drawer at least in this particular case they could be taken care of and so my point is that sometimes mothers and fathers decide to dump their children But here is the good news. The the merciless behavior of a parent that discards, dumps, gets rid of her baby is outside of the scope of God's ability. God does not dump his children. Listen to 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know, yet it comes, when he appears, now we're talking second coming. When he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. The anticipation, the hope at the second coming of Jesus, where he will complete the work that he started at conversion. 
And so the confidence, the assurance that he will not abandon us along the way, that he will carry us through, that which he has begun, he will bring through to completion. God made you alive in Christ. He brought you to life for the purpose of taking you to be with him in heaven. And there to make you into the moral likeness of Jesus. Surely nothing less uh, than the wonderful. We ought to be celebrating the purpose of God in salvation concerning sinful men and women. And so in this passage really tonight we've seen something of the the practical unfolding of holiness uh, and the unfolding of this holiness as, as evidence that you can look at, that you can consider that you and conclude that you are a child of God. There must be some movement uh, towards righteousness. And again, to repeat, if Christ appeared first to take away our sins and to destroy the devil's work, and if and when he appears a second time, we shall see him and be like him. Consequence of seeing him, we will be like him. The challenge is, how can we continue to sin? It ought to move us. It ought to motivate us. It, motivate us. it ought to uh, cause us to pause and stop when we are tempted. Say, but, 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 but why am I doing this in the light of what Jesus has done and what he will do? In fact, to continue with a sinful lifestyle uh, irresponsibly or carelessly is in fact to deny the purpose of his two appearings. And so if you're loyal to his first coming, ready for his second coming, uh, trusting we are, we must purify ourselves even as he is pure. And then by so doing, you'll give evidence of your birth into God's family. You will join the many who may then be confident and unashamed. You see where we've landed? Confident and unashamed because of the work of Jesus in his first appearing and ultimately the completion of sanctification in his second appearing. Confident and unashamed before him because Jesus took on him the penalty and consequence of our sin. So I'll leave it there for you tonight. I do pray that you'd be able to discuss this passage and share it together with others. I did put together some questions and uh, there's no need to work through all these questions. Perhaps it would be helpful to pick some of these questions out and, uh, and work through them. Uh, reviewing something of this passage and, and challenging one another if you are in a group as to the pursuit of holy living. So... Uh, Jay, if you could put that screen up and somebody, if you are watching, to just take a photograph uh, with your cell phone of that. So God bless you. I'm going to close uh, this time off in a word of prayer. Lord, passages like this uh, stir on the one hand uh, gratitude, amazement of your love, of your kindness, of your salvation, so rich and so free. And yet, Lord, at the same time, a passage that challenge, challenges us to pursue uh, holiness in a world Lord that uh, does not take any kind of uh, time to see the blessing or benefit of righteousness reflected by your own character and so give us strength we pray Lord pray that your Holy Spirit would also strive with us continually convicting us and, and reminding us of the cleansing work of Jesus 
controlling us, helping us to keep in step with that which is pleasing to you. And so have your gracious hand upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.